thank you to everybody who helped get everything put together. You can see we got some uh, some excitement happening in the building at the moment. Much more colorful experience than we are uh, accustomed to. We usually have a lot of blue and a lot of white and a little bit of brown. We got all kinds of stuff here. So something's going on this week. Oh, yeah. This is Vacation Bible School. Thank you to Kathy and the, her team. Um, and there have been so many others who have been in and out of the building getting everything decorated. We even figured out how to get the posters to stay on the wall. They kept falling off. I don't know, that stuff like that. Uh, but there are so many of you who are involved in all of it. And it, at the risk of naming everyone and forgetting someone, I'm going to offend everybody and say thank you to everybody who's being a part of things. Tuesday through Friday morning, 9 a.m. to noon. If you are not involved in leading something right now, you can be involved by praying for the ministry that's happening. We've got a lot of kids signed up, enrolled, and uh, God's been good through all of that. So thank you to everybody who is getting things together. We also had uh, a lot of uh, excitement in the building this week, getting the baptistry filled. Seems like it should be not too complicated, but we have an old building that likes to leak. And so, Jamie, mainly Jamie, I did a little bit of it, spent a lot of time getting that, um, and the water stayed in there this morning, it's really cool, um, and uh, happy for Marissa and baptizing her this morning. God's good, he's faithful, he is at work, and uh, we need to rejoice in that today. We continue in uh, Galatians chapter 4 this morning, very, I guess the word is interesting passage. There's a lot of interesting things happening in, uh, in Galatians 4. Um, I'm not sure I agree with the assessment that it is the most, uh, that I read this week, that it is the most difficult to interpret out of all of Galatians 4, because there's been a lot of work here uh, to get to this point. But we get to see an example from biblical history about how Christ is our fulfillment, how we, in, um, in Christ, we see that we are the children of promise. And that is absolutely what this is all about. We are not bound to the law. And next week we see in Galatians 5.1 probably, well, Galatians 5 has a lot of stuff that people know. Uh, but uh, one of the most well-known verses is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We get there this week. We see the fulfillment of God at work through, um, through his covenant and his faithfulness in history. So Galatians chapter 4 verses 21 to 31, and uh, we, uh, we will observe as we usually do. Let's stand as we read God's Word together. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, 
so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Our Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that we come to clarity here in a passage that can have a lot of implications on how we view the world. But Lord, help us to be reminded that we are of promise. We are free in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hagar and Sarah. Now, if you've read through Genesis, you know there's some crazy stuff that goes along with this story. Abraham was the one whom God made this initial covenant that we have been describing and looking at that is Paul describes as the law versus faith throughout the book of Galatians, and we'll come to a spot in Romans where he describes it there as well. But now we see that Hagar and Sarah draw out a picture of something that is greater than we even were thinking before we got to this place. Abraham was not a young man when he, had, he received the promise from the Lord of becoming a father to the nations. He was, according to all of the, the best math done backing up from uh, Genesis chapter 15, chapter 18, where we see all these things happen, he was about 75 years old when God made this promise to him. Then, and so that means his wife, being 10 years younger than him, was 65. And God says that you will be the father, your descendant will be, will reign on the throne, and you will be the father of the nations, and your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Which sounds like an amazing promise, unless you're 75. Man, I cannot even think about starting a family at that age. I mean, I was 32 when my kids were, when my daughter was born, and everybody told me I was old. You know, you're, man, you guys ever going to have kids? You're getting old. Thanks. Let's go read Genesis, see how old these guys are. No, um, we, we see that the promise is what matters here. The promise supersedes everything that we come to see as the law, ultimately. And the promise is from God that the son would come from Sarah, or as before their names have been changed, Abram and Sarai, or Sarai, or however you want to put, point that out. Here's where it gets complicated, because Sarah, knowing that she is at that moment 65 years old and not getting younger, and still the promise has not been fulfilled 10, 12 years later. So Sarah, being a good, honest woman, decides to take things into her own hands. And it doesn't go well. She says, I have this servant. Why don't you have a child with her? Well, that happens. Hagar is that servant. That slave woman is described here. And in that, she, uh, Hagar bears Abraham a son, and they name him Ishmael. Ishmael uh, is about, you know, 10, 12 years old, and God comes back and says, by the way, Abram, Abraham, 
we have, I have a plan. Sarah is going to have a child. <laughs> and Abraham's like, why can't you just be happy with what I came up with? Right? If you've read that, Abraham says, I know you told me these things. Now I can get this figured out. God says, no, that's not what I told you. There ends up building this bitterness between Sarah and Hagar because Sarah is ultimately, in her own plan, faulty. She becomes jealous of Hagar because Hagar actually had the child. And so there's this conflict in, 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 the, in the home there. Now, I've, I've been married almost 22 years now. I love my wife very much. She's a wonderful singer. She's up here every Sunday serving our church, serving our family, doing that great stuff. I can tell you I'm glad I don't have two of her. Love her very much. There's a problem, right? There's a reason God designed marriage the way he did between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And yeah, you can call that hate speech in this culture, but that's the way God designed it. And everything we see that isn't that in the Bible, people say, well, it's in the Bible. It never works. It never works. God designed it this way. And this is a picture of that. Now, it doesn't negate God's faithfulness to his promise in that. He promised Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, a child that was theirs. And it was miraculous because Sarah was beyond childbearing years. By this point, she's 90 years old. That's a long time later. And guess who shows up? The laughing child. Isaac. Why is he named Isaac? Because Sarah laughed when the angels tell Abram that he would be a father by her. <laughs> she said, no, no. And so they, they remind her that every time <laughs> she says his name. Now, here we are. Paul draws it back to be an allegory of what ultimately happens. God does bless Hagar and Ishmael. He does he doesn't abandon Hagar in the midst of all of this. If you go back and read it, he actually tells her that Ishmael would become the father of his own nation. And that is who we believe today to be the descendants that are the Arabians, those who populate the Arabian Peninsula. Now, if you know modern politics, there's still some conflict. Right? Here's a picture of those that are east of and south and, and southwest, those who would be of Arab descent wanting to destroy the children of the promise. That is Israel. It's still happening today. Go read about it. You can just, well, don't right now. Put away your phones, please. But you can see that conflict still at work. They're at odds with each other. There is conflict in this world as a, that is a picture of us, of humanity, trying to solve the problem ourselves. And that's what Sarah tried to do. 
was say, okay, that child can be the one of the, oh, no, wait, no, I don't like that kid. So now we have a big, big conflict going on here. So Paul comes back to all of that right here. Probably an interesting interpretation that you just heard of all of that. But verse 22 says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. In other words, it was the one that they tried to fulfill God's word with themselves. That was Ishmael. The son of the free woman was born through promise. What was the promise? That God made to Abram that he and Sarah would bear a child together in their old age. This fulfillment that God would make the impossible happen. Think about that for a minute because it happens a lot in the Bible. God's promise was that he would make this happen. And he ultimately does. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, as Paul says. He starts becoming the preacher here. Verse 24. These women are two covenants. One is from Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. What does that mean? That means that the law is a picture of what had to happen in order for us to realize our problem, that we were enslaved in our sin. And when we start moving forward in, in, in Galatians, when he starts talking that freedom for freedom that Christ has set us free, first place he's saying we are free from the law. That is where our ultimate freedom is because we become a, a point in the, uh, the, the, the fulfillment of the children of promise. We are free. Now, what does that mean? We are free from the sentence of death. We are free from the, uh, the consequences of our sin for eternity. And that we have hope of the resurrection that is in Christ Jesus. But that's where it's always been. Our hope has always been through a promise, not through the law. What is the law represented here? It's when we try to take care of it ourselves, when we try to do things in order that we can be counted worthy of salvation. The Greek word I usually use is baloney. I'm going to insert another one here. It's hogwash. Okay? It's worthless what we do. Because salvation only comes by Christ's completed work, by the fulfillment of this promise. And that is the hope of eternal life. Now, Hagar, it says in verse 25, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. That means she's trying to prove herself worthy through works of the law. You are enslaved to the law if you think that that can save you. One little thing is the consequence. The penalty is our death. We are always trying to prove ourselves worthy. It's never going to happen. We're never going to be worthy of, the, of, of what the law requires of us. That's one of the reasons it's set before us, is so that we can see our need. You and I cannot accomplish salvation. 
Salvation is always through a promise of faith. But the Jerusalem above is free, it says in verse 26, and she is our mother. So they're talking now about eternity versus time. The Jerusalem they speak of in person is that they go there to see the law fulfilled. They go every Passover. They go to the Day of Atonement. They go all these things to get all these, these places right. The box is checked off so they can try to be saved, so they can be counted worthy to Christ. But the Jer- Jerusalem above is a promise of eternity, and that is who we belong to if we have our faith in Jesus Christ. That is where we are citizens. You know, I'm not saying our votes don't matter. We just had a primary election a couple of weeks ago that I I had to look hard to find the results from. (laughs) That's interesting, right? Once those kinds of things happen, they move on to November. We should be faithful citizens and help vote in our country, but that is not going to save us. When is the last time anybody who ended up in an office in downtown Pueblo or downtown Denver or in Washington, D.C. saved you? I've got nobody. Anybody else have an idea? I'm not, you know, if I wrote a letter to the White House right now, I probably wouldn't get a response. If I wrote a letter, never mind. I'll stop. I'm afraid of the response I would get if I wrote a letter. Let's put it that way. Our citizenship is in eternity in Christ Jesus. We should live to be good citizens of our world. We should be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ because the good news is what changes hearts. We need to see the hope that is Jesus and a forgiveness and, and love people the way God does. You and I are not worthy of what He has done for us. We haven't done anything to deserve the goodness of God. Yet He saves us, and He calls us then to proclaim that salvation. Beautiful are those who share the, the good news, the feet. Beautiful are the feet, I skipped the word, of those who share the good news, proclaiming salvation to the poor. Guess who's poor? All of us. The riches of heaven are not something that we can comprehend. The Jerusalem above is where we belong. That's why we never quite feel right here. You may love your house, you may have lived there forever, or you may have finally gotten to your dream home here on earth, but I guarantee you, you're going to have a plumbing problem. Or a light bulb's going to burn out. Or the basement's going to flood for whatever reason. There is no way that anything on this earth can compare to the glory that is the Jerusalem above. And that is a result of the promise. That is what we are being proclaimed here. So, in verse uh, 27, it's actually a quote of Isaiah 54. All right, and we, it, if we go back to that really quick, it should be on, your, uh, on the screen there. I've got it in there if, I didn't, if it synced right. Um, it says, sing... O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be one, be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Paul uses this verse as fulfillment of Christ, of the promise. Now, Isaiah 54 
is not the 50 chapter we usually think of. If you turn one page back, and I have to in mine, you will see what a picture of a verse we often read in Holy Week. A picture of the suffering servants. And you almost see a, a absolute description of the crucifixion. God's plan all along was Jesus. We cannot do it ourselves. We will never be worthy in our own flesh. In time and eternity, God has brought fulfillment and salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was pretty cool. After baptism, they picked the song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Not that water. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. That suffering servant endured the child of the promise, the hope of eternity. Christ fulfills the law so that in Him we then find that salvation we so long for. There's joy and there's peace and there's glory in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we will always come up short in all of these ways that we try to make this world a better place, that we're going to try to find our hope here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't help people when they need it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do good things here on earth. I'm saying it's not enough to save you, and it never will be. Our hope is found in the resurrection. Our hope is found in the fulfillment of the promise. Paul begins then in verse 28 to describe those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. He's speaking to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember who the Galatians are. They are, uh, they are Gentiles. They did not grow up in faith. They heard the gospel preached by Paul while he was sick. They came to faith in him. They're baptized, and now they have churches throughout this region in central Turkey, more than likely. It could be in northern as well. Asia Minor was what it was called then. It's modern-day Turkey. And what we find is that they, as they heard the word, people were sneaking in and trying to add something to it trying to add the circumcision to it, saying that you had to become a Jew first in order to become a believer and a follower, a saved Christian. And Paul does not speak kindly about that at all. He reminds them that hope is only found through the promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, we have salvation. Romans speaks to this as well, being a child of promise, chapter 9, verse 8. And back up there a little bit. Remember, Galatians is often described as a rough draft for Romans. It's much shorter, but it deals with a lot of the same things. I'm going to start in verse 6. Verse 8 is the only one that's going to be on the screen, I'm pretty sure. Right? Yep. Romans chapter 9. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. 
For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac your, shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, he keeps going through the children there. Though they were not yet born and done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It is because of God's fulfilled promise all along the way. God's promise was to use the, the unexpected and to make it known that he did it. It's all about his fame and his glory. And he does it in such a humble way through Christ. The work of salvation has always been by trusting the Lord from the start. Why was Abel's count, offering counted righteous and Cain's not? It's because Abel trusted the Lord. Why was Noah saved and his family? Because he trusted the Lord. Doesn't mean any of these guys were perfect at all. You read Genesis 6 and, and following you and find some interesting things that went on in the life of Noah. Weird stuff. Weird stuff here with Abraham and his family. You want a good drama? Read through the last 30 chapters of Genesis. You go, wow, God used these people? And free advertisement, after I'm on vacation in August, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Yay! Lots of fun there. I might even get Zach to sing a song. I'm just kidding. I won't even do it. Unless you want to. Ah, that's all right. Um, one of Zach's more famous roles in life was Joseph um, in a musical. I'll let you use your imaginations. Okay, so, no, what we find, though, is that God fulfills his promise by those who trust in him. And these people are all messed up. So before you think that you have to have your stuff together, guess what? Nobody in the Old Testament had their stuff together. I hear a lot of times from the public, not so much from you guys, sometimes they joke about it, you know, oh, I can't go through the doors of the church, lightning will strike. And I'm like, well, I go through every day, it hadn't happened yet. Okay. There is no one that is righteous. It's always by trusting in Christ for our salvation. When we trust in Him, He changes us. There's nothing, and I'm, I've said it over and over and over today, but I think that's kind of the point we need to get to. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. It's always the work of Jesus. Do you believe in his death and burial and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and to bring the new life that is found in the Holy Spirit because of his ascension? He had to go, he told us, so the Spirit would come. The Spirit reigns today in the church, and he calls us into the world to go and make disciples. 
take steps of obedience that bless Him. To trust Him and obey Him and to do the things He calls us to, but to realize that our salvation is always from Him. It's always a gift. The reason you woke up today is God has more in store for you. He offers you hope. He offers you salvation. He wants you to tell others of the hope and salvation that you have found in Him. Are you today like Isaac, like David, like Jesus? Are you a child of promise? Have you received the gift of salvation by putting your faith in Him? Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for Your goodness at work in us.